spirit. I tell you when I leave this place, from this place here, it's always a different story, a different ball game when I get out there because the anointing in the worship keeps me going. And I know it does you too. Hallelujah. God is able to do what he says he will do. On Monday, I saw that again manifest. An 81-year-old woman in a hospital home somewhere in sunrising in New Jersey. It's a mother of one of my colleagues at work. She came crying to me, chaplain. My mom is about to give up. Why? She's not eating for three and a half weeks. I said I would like to visit. And so I went on Monday. I visited. Before I got there, a Catholic priest, they are in Catholic, they belong to Catholic Church, but a Catholic priest has gone, come to see her and then do his final rites. And the Catholic rites, you know, farewell, let it be well with you and all the stuff. But I believe God showed up after the Catholic priest left. God is able to do just what he says he will do. I looked at the old woman, hunched down, will not lift up her face. That's how she's been for three and a half weeks. No food. I told mama, mama, you're going to eat for me. Because I came to see you for the purpose of honoring God. I took a scoop of ice cream, whatever they gave her, ice, ice, chocolate ice cream. Put it in her mouth, she spit it out. I told her, one more try. You're going you're to do this for me, mama. Gave her one scoop, put it into her mouth, she took it in. Lifted my fingers of God. I said, thank you, Jesus. Give her the second scoop. Put it in the mouth. She took it in. Third one. Put it in the mouth. She took it in. Her husband says, this is a miracle. I said, just hold on. And then everything in the cup went into her mouth. Nothing spewed out. Nothing thrown up. Everything went in there. Every place was just looking at what is going on there. For goodness, what is going on there? And I was praising God in my spirit. With the song, God is able to do just what he said he would do. If he's promised it, he will do it. The day after that, I, I just brought the text message. I don't want to read it to you. She called me, my friend, my colleague, says, Jolly, do you know what? She is able to eat the following day every food that was given to her. <laughs> and just two days ago when I went to work, she told me over the week, she was able to eat on her own self, unaided, on her unsupported, unassisted. God is able to do what he said he would do. Church, we are in his presence. We carry his presence and that's how we sing about his love. And we cannot just stop sharing or singing about that love. The power is in your hands. It's in your lips to do it. People are waiting for those miracle touch. Today she's alive. This is somebody who has already been given the final rite of passage. She's alive two weeks, going to two weeks now. Because of God, who is able. I don't know what the situation is that we may have, but he is able. I don't care. I won't promote the inabilities in man over God's abilities. I always tell people, if you say God is able, God is not disabled, but God is able. He's not disabled. The psalmist says, Oh my soul, bless God. From head to toe, Psalm 103. I will bless his holy name. Oh my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. 
He forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves you, or saves, uh, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. So we can't stop singing about the love that God has crowned us with that love and mercy. Let the love of God take you through the week, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, and we come back again and refresh again and go back out again. Because you are waiting for the endless expectation of the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God, you and I. May he depend on you, may he depend on me. For there are people out there waiting for the word. The gospel is being preached, souls are being saved, lives are changed, bodies are healed. Satan's works are exposed and defeated. Let it be so this way. Amen. In honor to God, I bring my tithes, I sow my finances into the kingdom of God. Every penny will produce for God and for me. The gospel is being preached, souls are being saved, lives are being changed, bodies are healed. And Satan's works are exposed and defeated. It will produce for me. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaking together. And running over. Will God give back to me? Through the hands of men that I will give again. I count it as done. In Jesus name. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Well, in light of Brother Jolly's wonderful testimony he just gave, we had another one from Les and Marguerite. Praise report. Last Sunday we got word our sister-in-law was back in the hospital, not doing well from lung, lung complications, along with other saints. The Zoe Church family prayed for her healing. In addition, Marguerite and I went to Temple Hospital and, over, and anointed her with oil, rebuked the sickness, and declared healing over her body. The doctors Tuesday said she would need a lung transplant. Thursday, they said her lungs were responding to medication and they were rethinking about the lung transplant. (laughs) We agree with Zoe Church family for her complete recovery. Amen. Isn't that good? Glory to God. We do serve a God who is able to do all that he said he would do. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Glory to God. Yeah. Yeah, if we don't ask him, he don't do it, right? Because he tells us, he said, pray. He says, ask. You got to do some things. Glory to God. <laughs> it's good, to, good for that report. Praise God. We're going to be over in the book of Numbers here. Today, there was a student who was taking a class in ornithology, the study of birds. I have never taken a class in that and do not plan to. It's a very difficult class with, some, with a, a particular honorary professor. And so this uh, student, he was preparing for the final exam and he had studied everything that he thought he needed to study. He had prepared himself as best as he could prepare himself. He walks into the class for the final exam and he doesn't see any pieces of paper on the desk. He doesn't see any pencils. He doesn't see anything like he expects to see. But what he does see is 25 pictures above the chalkboard. And as the class comes in, they settle down. He says, 
Your final exam will consist of you identifying 25 species of birds from the pictures I have put over the chalkboard. Now, these pictures were not pictures of birds. They were pictures of birds' feet. And you had to identify the bird from their feet. Well, this one particular student who had prepped himself and got himself so ready was so distraught by this, was so overcome, he raised a ruckus. And he said, there is no way that you should be expecting us to identify 25 species of birds from their feet. We need to have more information. This is the crazy final exam. He said, if I failed it, I'm going to fail the class. He says, there's no way we should be expected to do that. And he says, well, I'm the teacher. Then I determine what the final exam is going to be. And that's what the final exam is going to be. And so he raved and Cause the fuss for some more. And finally, he says, I am not taking this final exam. The professor said, if you don't take the final exam, you fail. He says, then go ahead and fail me because I will not take such a ridiculous final exam. He said, that's fine. You have failed the class. What is your name? And what he did was he rolled up his pants and he says, you tell me. <laughs> Preparation is a good thing, isn't it? It's good to be prepared and to come on in. It gives us confidence in things. We're going to take a look at a situation here in this, this morning about some uh, preparation that God had, would have had people go through to get them ready for something. And they didn't quite go through it. They didn't quite go through the preparation. As we looked at our, this series here, we've been looking at how to, the things we can do to make our life complete. We looked at joy. We looked at peace. We've been on the area of patience here. In James chapter 1, our text verse Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Patience is one of those things that helps make us complete. And we need to have patience. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That we need to let patience have its perfect work. Patience is not produced by us going through tests and trials. It is produced by our faith being tested by the tests and trials. And our faith needs to stay out there. Too, too many times we pull back on our faith and we go through in our flesh. And we go through other ways. And our faith is not being built up. We looked at the pressure that the children of Israel had at the Red Sea and how that pressure was getting them to alter and to change course and to move off of faith. We saw them when they became hungry and when they became thirsty and their physical needs were uh, needing to be met, that it moved them out of faith and the test and trial didn't produce anything good in them. We saw when they're at the mountain that they could not wait even for a little while for this to happen. Moses was up there on the mountain. They decided he delayed too long. God looks down on them and says, look how quickly they moved out of the way that I had given them. Last week, we looked at becoming dissatisfied with God's things. That the children of Israel had manna rained down from heaven. They were fed by God from heaven. It came on down, it says, and they, they complained about it. And as their complaining built up, they said, we want some meat. And so meat came. And of course, we all know what happened with that, that God's anger burned against them. But as we saw, they constantly complained we saw that it affected their own faith we saw that it affected their leaders moses 
began to say and do things that is uncustomary for Moses to say and do. And so we saw some of the things that had, that had pulled him in. And that we saw that it affected the whole congregation. That when you fall into the area of complaining, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all those people that are around you. It affects the leaders that are over you. If you fall into complaining in your job, it will affect the leaders that are over you, the bosses that you have, the other employees that are there. Everyone becomes affected by your complaining. And you need to stay out of it. The enemy loves to get people into complaining. And he constantly did it with Israel. He pulled them into the area of complaining. And it was constantly a problem for them. If you're up on Facebook here this morning, I put this question out here for you. It's in your outline as well. Does God lead us into a situation where our lack of preparation dooms us to certain obliteration? Does God lead us into a situation where our lack of preparation dooms us to certain obliteration? Well, that's the question we're going to see here. Of course, we're going to take a look at Israel being led to the Jordan River. And they're going to go, be told by God, send the spies out. I want you to go over and I want you to take over the land. I have given it to you. And we see that uh, they just aren't quite ready. So we want to take a look at this question along with some other things in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So we want 12 leaders. It's not that there's only 12 leaders. We're just going to take out of each tribe, we're going to take one leader and we're going to send them in. And they are to go out into the land and they're to spy it out. They're to check it out. And he gives them a, a definite assignment as to what they are supposed to do. But he says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. God is giving it to them. Verse 3. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the commandment of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names from the tribes of Reuben, Shammuah, the son of Zachar, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, of the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, that is Joshua, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulon, Gadiah, the son of Sodai, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Sushi, from the tribe of Dan, Amael, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Machael, from the tribe of Neph- Nephtali, Nabi, the son of Vashi, from the tribe of Gab, Gewul, the son of Machai. And these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So we all, we all know that ten of these guys didn't give a good report. Two of them did, Caleb and Joshua. They are from the tribe of Judah and from the tribe of Ephraim. Those are the two tribes that brought a good report. All the rest of them brought a bad report. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Here's the assignment. See what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, 
and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was a season of the first ripe grapes. So here's the assignment. I summed it up for you this way. The strength and numbers of the people, the condition of the land and the cities, and to bring back some of the fruit. Those are the assignments of the folks they were supposed to go out there and to do. Put this in your outline for you. Whenever an assignment is given, patience is one of, not the only, but one of the qualities that keeps us on track to get it done. You're also going to see diligence, faithfulness, some other qualities are there to help you stay on track and to get it done. But patience is one of those qualities that will keep you on track to get the assignment done. Verse 21. So they went out and spied out the land of the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went through the south, came to Hebron, uh, Heman, Shashai, and Tamai. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, just in case you were wondering. They threw that in there for you. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. I'm going to surmise that that would mean that if you bought these at Wegmans, they would not fit in the little plastic bags that they give you. That's, some, that's a serious cluster of grapes that you've got to have two guys to carry it. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs, and the place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. How long were they spying out the land? 40 days. How long was Moses up on the mountain? 40 days. When Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, they got tired of waiting for him, didn't they? And they decided to build a golden calf and all the different things that they were trying to put together with that because they got tired of waiting for 40 days. Now, these guys are over there for 40 days. We don't hear anything about them being tired of waiting for these guys to come back. Why? Probably because Moses is in the camp. Before Moses wasn't in the camp. Now, Moses is in the camp, and so they're probably not... uh, not going to give him much of a trouble on that. So the 40 days, apparently they waited for 40 days without any problem. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them, told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Is that a bad report? No, because it's within the sphere of what he said. I'll go out there and find out. Are the people strong or are they weak? So if they come back and they say, the people who dwell in the land are strong, is that going outside the report they're supposed to bring? It's perfectly fine. They were supposed to say strong or weak. They did not have to come back and say, all those people are nothing. See, sometimes Christians get the idea that whenever we face a battle, we must call it nothing. That if we realize that what we're up against is anything strong, that we're not in faith. But they were sent to find out, are they strong or are they weak? And they came back and they said, they are strong. Just because you determine that what it is that you're up against is strong or weak does not mean that you are not in faith. This is not the part of the bad report. The cities are fortified and very large. Well, aren't they told? Go out and see if they're camps or if they're strong fortifications. And so they came back and they said, their cities are fortified and they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Well, they're supposed to evaluate what the people are, who they are. 
the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So up till now, they have not given a bad report. They have given an accurate report of the land, which is what they were sent in to do. So they give the report requested, and I put in parentheses there, and more, because we know how the rest of the story goes. I put this in there for you, though, too. I want you to make sure you get this. Launching an investigation of what God commissioned you to do is not wrong, nor a lack of faith. It is not wrong, nor a lack of faith. Just because God says, go and do this, and you go out and check it out, doesn't mean that you are not in faith. It means you're seeing what it is you have to overcome in order to accomplish what God says to do. Until that report hinders your obedience. If that report hinders your obedience, now it's a problem. But until that report hinders your obedience, you can keep going. It's fine to see what you're up against. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, why does he have to quiet the people? Because apparently there was some more stuff that was said. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So if you're going to quiet the people, he's saying we are well able to overcome this. The people are thinking that we are not able to overcome this. And now we get the rest of the story. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So after they had given their report, they, they concluded. They came to conclusions. See, sometimes your doctor will give you a report, but then he comes to conclusions. He can give you the report, tell you what you're up against, but don't accept his conclusions. You don't have to do that. You can say, the report can say this and this and this. All right, well, that's what we're coming against in faith, and, and you will die in two weeks. But you don't have to accept that conclusion. Just hear the report and, and go on from there. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, this is part of the bad report, the land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now here's where we've got the problem. You've heard this said many times. They surely did not go up to any of the descendants of Anak and said, Hey, what do I look like to you? No one did that. They surmised, I bet we're like grasshoppers in their sight because we're so small. And that's what they surmised. Now we find out from Rahab years later when the children of Israel come back through that, Hey, we've been trembling since we heard what God did for you at the Red Sea. We've been trembling since we heard what God did for you all in the wilderness. We have been fearing you guys come over. Why it took you 40 years? I don't know. But we've been shaking in our boots. And so they saw these things and they said, we are afraid of them. See, too often, folks, we get a report from the doctor and the doctor says, you got this disease, you got this problem, and we begin to fear and to quake because we think it is bigger than us when it should be the other way around. Sickness and disease should shake in your presence. But you've got to believe that. Otherwise, you withdraw and you go to the wilderness like the children of Israel did. In our own sight, and so we were in, our, in their sight. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, 
and so we were in their sight. This shows that their faith was not in God's word, but in circumstances. They wanted to believe that the land that God was taking them to was a land in which the inhabitants were not as great as they were. How many of you all want God to give you an assignment that the assignment is not as big as you are? How many of you are like that? How many of you ever feel like God has given you an assignment that is bigger than you are? And I don't like it. I don't like the bigness of the assignment that God gave. I'm over at the job, and everybody in that place is unsaved. And I feel like they're persecuting my beliefs. And I feel like they're not receiving the things that I have to say or the example that I have or the word of God that's in me. And you feel like the assignment is bigger than you are. We want God to send us to a place where the assignment is smaller. When we come on in and we declare something from the word of God and everybody says, oh, that is so good. Can you give me more? That's what we want, right? We don't like the opposition. We don't like the problems. We don't like the neighbors that don't receive the things that we had to say. We don't like the laying hands on the sick people. We'd rather just everybody be well or just lay hands on themselves. They thought God was leading them to a land where they were greater than the inhabitants. But God led them to a land where God was greater than the inhabitants. Understand the difference on that. God is not leading you to a place where you are bigger than what you face. He's leading you to a place where he is bigger than what you face. Don't ever get lost in the equation. You are not the focus. It is your God, and it is the problem. You look at the size of your God, and the size of your God should always dwarf the size of your problem. As we said, their view of themselves was small. They were huge in the sight of their enemies. And we saw that in Joshua chapter 2, 9 through 11. You can look that up later on if you want to. I already kind of gave that to you. But over here in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. They cried and they wept. Why? Because we've come all this way. We came out of the land of Egypt, in which God did ten miracles and purged the land of the, of the greatness of their gods. He showed them how small their gods were. And afterwards, they kicked us out, gave us gold to leave. Then they came back after us and were there at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea opened up and we walked through. And then it closed up on the Egyptians. And then we had the bitter waters made pure. And we had bread from heaven. And we had water come from a rock. And we had the Amalekites defeated. Back in the, we didn't cover that one, but the, the battle with the Amalekites where Moses kept his hand up and Aaron and Hur held their, held their hands up and they, as long as the hands were up, they were winning. They went through that. And God brought them through that as well. Provided the quail. How many things has God done for them so far? Quite a few. But here they are, lift up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. How many times have we gotten before God and we've wept because all of a sudden we got some bad news. All of a sudden we got something that's not quite right. All of a sudden it looks like our enemy is bigger than we thought. And we begin to cry before God. We're just like the children of Israel here. So the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night. So instead of sleeping, they're weeping. Should have just gone over there and got some rest. But they didn't get any rest. They cried the whole night. I know I asked for a show of hands, but how many have ever stayed up all night crying because something happened 
and you are sad. Yeah. Not going to do you any good. Don't be sitting there crying. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, how many of you would have thought after the quails, they would have learned about complaining? Don't do it anymore. But they didn't do it. As soon as they get another opportunity, what do they do? They complain. So they weep all night. They're not building up their faith. They're tearing it down. And then they come out after crying all night and saying, oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, woe is me. And all the people of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Now look at this tack on here. Or, if only we had died in this wilderness. Threw that one in there. We were okay to die in the land of Egypt. We were okay to die in the wilderness. Did you ever get that impression from any of our previous stories that they were okay with dying in the wilderness? I didn't get that impression. Did you ever get the impression that the children of Israel were okay with dying in the land of Egypt? I never got that impression either. But now they're suddenly okay with it. Oh, you should just let us die. should just let us die over there in the wilderness. Or let us die over there in the land of Egypt. And they begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. Why did you bring us up out of the land of Egypt? Well, it was so good there. The people treated us nice. They fed us well. They didn't overwork us. It was a good, it was a good setup. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Now, how many of you think it's meaning when it says all the children of Israel? I would say all, right? All the children of Israel. Now, of course, we have the exception of Caleb and Joshua. Because we already know they're, they're not on that, that same side. But all the children of Israel, they all complain. Can you imagine two to four million people all complaining about the same thing? It is a whole lot easier to get a group of people to complain about the same thing than get a group of people to rejoice about the same thing. So you got two to four million people complaining to Moses and Aaron. And you thought it was bad when your two kids were at home complaining. You thought it was bad when the ten employees at work where you were at complained. You thought it might be bad when the two dozen, three dozen Employees at where you work were all complaining. Two to four million people complained. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had, I, I would love to, how do you get the whole congregation to say this? Do they all in unison? All right, ready? Here we go. <laughs> and the whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. You got two to four million people to agree that they should have died. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children become, should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Boy, they're all over the board. First we want to die in Egypt. Then we want to die in the wilderness. Now we want to return to Egypt. Look at this though. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Is that why the Lord brought them here? It is not. But how many times have we come to wrong conclusions based on the circumstances that we face? Well, I guess the Lord wants me to do this. Well, I guess the Lord doesn't want me to do this. Well, I guess God has brought me here for this purpose. You've heard this one before. Well, I guess God put me in the hospital 
so that I could minister to these people that are around here. You ever heard that one? Mm-hmm. I like the answer I heard one minister say. I forget who it was, but one minister said this way. Hey, but if you go into the hospital next time, well. <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. Just go in there healthy instead of having to get sick to go in there and, and do all that. That certainly would be better. But you see, we come to wrong conclusions. We look at the circumstances and we come to this conclusion, well, I guess God brought us here so that we would fall by the sword. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's plan. Now, where do you think they got that idea from? I'm sure their flesh was well able to come up with that idea. But the enemy will feed you stuff like this. He will draw this and this and this and say, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And we just fall right on. We're over there at work and all of a sudden the thought comes in, you know they don't like you here. And then you get the motion picture. You know, the newsreel. And you get the one employee over the desk and they said this. And this other employee over here and they gave you the eye. And this other employee over here and they ignored you. And you draw all those things. They don't like me here. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to feed you conclusions that are not true. But if you believe them and act on them, you'll reap the benefits as if they were true. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? So they say they're afraid for their wives and their children, because if they die by the sword, then they're going to come and take their wives and their children captive. They're going to become slaves. What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. Seem to have forgotten that. Before this all started, back in chapter 13, God says, send the spies out to a land that I have given you. Not a land that I brought you to so they can kill you. A land that I have given you. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Well, this Moses fellow, he's only going to lead us into the promised land and that's not a good place. We decided this is not a good place to go. We don't like going to this place because they are going to kill us. Sure, the land is good. Sure, it flows with milk and honey. Look at the fruit. But hmm, this is not good. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Now, you see what they're lacking here is patience. Because patience gives your faith endurance. Because whatever it is that you are going to believe God for, you are going to face opposition to. You're going to face it. And when that opposition comes... Patience is the thing that gives you endurance to be able to stand up against it, to stand in faith and fight the thing that you're going after. That's what patience will do. And the more patience you have, the more you're able to stand up and to fight and to endure. But these folks have not learned patience because every single time they came to a place to test their faith, they gave in. They gave in to the circumstances. They gave in to the feelings of defeat. Every single time. God's getting tired of them for doing it so much. Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. The verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among the, those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land 
we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. This is a good place. This is not a bad place. This is a good place. Moses and Aaron immediately begin to intercede because the people have fallen into complaining again. And they know what will happen. But Joshua and Caleb, they're over there talking to the people. Look, this land is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, there's all kinds of powerful stuff they're saying right there, but the children of Israel are not hearing them because they have given themselves over to complaint. They have dropped their patience, and their faith is gone. See, when your faith is gone and people speak faith to you, it's obnoxious. You want to get away from it. You put it down. I don't need to hear that. That's wrong. We say all kinds of things. But you need to have people come in and, and to speak faith to you. To speak faith to you. Because you've got lots of things that are speaking contrary things. Things that are contrary to what you're believing. Things that are contrary to the direction that you're going. But God wants you to go into the promised land. To go into the promise that he has set out for you. That's what he wants. His desire is that you move in this direction. So he's going to do things in your life to get you there. He's going to do things to prep you. See, God did not lead them to a Red Sea that they could be wiped out. He led them to a Red Sea. Now believe me and watch what happens. He led them out into the wilderness and he knew that in that wilderness there's lots of places where there's no water and no food. But he says, just watch me. I've got a plan for this. All I need you to do, just have some confidence. Have some belief. But they didn't do it. And if they would have, their patience would have been developed. And when they came to this place and they heard the report, they said, our God is well able. You see, all these people went through the exact same circumstances and only Caleb and Joshua came out with their faith being built up. The rest of them did not. Our God is well able to deliver these people to us. Our God is well able to bring us into the land because they saw a God who was well able. The children of Israel saw a God who was not. How do you see your God? So the people, they cried out all night. They criticized their leaders. They complained. This doesn't help their situation. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do you know that when we complain and we don't stay in the area of faith, we are in rebellion to the Lord? Rebellion. That's not a good word. Not just disobedience. He says rebellion. Do not rebel against the Lord. Nor fear the people of the land. So don't rebel against the Lord. Nor fear whatever it is that you hear. Don't fear it. Don't fear what you hear about your job. Don't fear what you hear about the economy. Don't fear what you hear about other nations and what they want to try and do. Don't fear it. Don't be in fear. Stay confident with God. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. Think about it this way, folks. If sickness and disease is overtaking your body, 
sickness and disease is in your body, their protection is gone. Sickness and disease in, in your body, the protection of that sickness and that disease is gone. Just think about that. The people who come against you at work, the people who come against you in your neighborhood, the people who come against you in your family, their protection is gone. Just think about that. They have no protection. If you're thinking Star Wars or Star Trek, think shields down. Shields down. They got nothing. Why in the world are we going to be afraid of someone whose protection is gone? They have no protection. But you have protection. The Lord your God is with you. But you've got to see it that way. You've got to view it that way. Or it's not going to change. Your situation is not going to get any better. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now, whenever you speak faith in a crowd who has rejected faith, they all want to wipe you out. Notice this. Caleb and Joshua do not want to wipe the crowd out. Moses and Aaron don't want to wipe the crowd out. They want to preserve them. In a little while, God's getting ready to wipe them out because of their constant rebellion. But they're on the, they're on the side of faith, children of Israel on the side of doubt. The side of doubt wants to wipe out the side of faith, just like we see today. You know, you got one side that, uh, we use this example all the time, but vegetarians want to wipe out meat eaters. Meters just want to let everybody eat what they want. That's just the way that it is. If you are a person who eats meat, you generally don't care if someone else eats vegetables only. But if you eat vegetables only, you get very passionate about people who are eating meat. Why are you doing that? You're killing our planet. You're wiping us out. All the different things that they'll say. They want to stop you from, from doing that. No, we can't, we can't be doing that. And it, even in the, in the stuff today, you know, we got, um, oh, what was the, the, the um, LGBT community, as they call it. You know, if, if you don't want to make a cake for their wedding, if you want to photograph their wedding, then they rise up and they close you down. Because that is not right, that you should refuse service to them. However, the same group of people will applaud those who decide, I don't want to be at Donald Trump's inauguration. How can you do that? It's simple. Because those that are on the side of faith will try and tell people that are on the side of doubt the truth. But if they don't want to accept it, they don't try and kill them. But the people that are on the side of doubt will always try and rise up against those that are in faith. When Caleb and Joshua spoke, two to four million people wanted to pick up stones and stone them because... They pronounced their faith. You're going to stand on the word of God. There are going to be plenty of people who are going to try and shut you up. Plenty of people who are going to try and do it. Christians are constantly being persecuted now because, well, you guys are exclusionary. No one else can get to heaven except for the way that you say. All these, all these kind of things. Whereas we have a whole group of people that if you don't believe the way they do, they kill you. But that's okay. And we defend them. Media does anyway. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So as they're getting ready to stone, all of a sudden the glory of God comes down on the tabernacle of meeting. That'll get your attention. 
Let me read what it says here. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? So he comes down, tabernacle of meeting, and these are the things that God says. How long will these people reject me? When you accept that what comes against you is bigger than your God, God sees it as a rejection of him. Don't do it. Whatever it is that comes against you is not bigger than your God. Don't look at it that way. How long will these will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? And we say, well, if God would have performed the things that he did with Israel to me, wow. Folks, how many people sit here right now and God has healed you of a sickness or disease? A miracle has happened in your body. Something has happened in your finances. God has done something in the area of your job. God has helped some members of your family. Miracles have gone on, but you see, it's easy for us to diss them. That's why when people get out there and they they, uh, encourage you, have a book where you write down these things because it's too easy to forget the blessings that God has done. God has blessed us. And a lot of blessings we don't even know about. We ought to thank God for the blessings we don't even know about. I don't even know all the times that my life might have been in danger or something may have happened to harm me and God stopped it so that I didn't even see it. Wasn't even there. Or God warned me about it and I just went another way. Didn't even know it was a warning from God. Just God says, go over here. And I went over there and avoided something. But thank God for it. Just know that it happens. And God's out there doing good things for you. Don't wallow around in self-pity about how bad your life is and how bad your job is and how bad it is in your family and how bad it is with whatever it is that you got. Don't wallow around in, in that. Now, I heard some people, you know, they're talking about those cold days. How many wanted to go around and complain about those cold days? And now what? we got a whole string of 40 and 50 degree highs. whole string of them. Glory to God. Anytime we get a string of 40 and 50 degrees high in January, it is a good month. In January, right there. That's, that is all right. We don't like those teens and all that other stuff, but I don't know if you saw this, but I saw a little video. They had this, this posted up. And you, know, it, you see a certain video, that the title can sometimes get you. Seven inches, it got so cold, seven inches of snow fell in Florida. Anybody see that headline? Yeah. Apparently, seven inches of snow fell in Florida. Because it got so cold. How many inches of snow fell here? None. Now, after you read the story, you find out the reason that seven inches of snow fell in Florida is because the people took advantage of the cold weather and they set up an apparatus to make snow. And they made seven inches of snow for their daughter to come on home and and to play around in the snow for in in the yard. Turn those things on until they had seven inches of snow. So it wasn't natural snow. It was artificial snow, but... (laughs) That was fun. I, I enjoyed that. I said, yeah, all right, there we go. I never heard of that kind of snow falling out there. Verse 12. I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And then it goes on, and Moses talks them out of it. Now nah, Egypt will hear about this, and it won't go very well for, for things there. But you see, when you cont- if you learn patience... If in all the small things that you're facing in life, if you learn patience to endure, 
to not be moved, to not have circumstances move you out of where you are. You're in your job. God blessed you with that job. And all of a sudden people rise up and don't like you and try and persecute you at that job. But you rise up and say, Father God, you blessed me with this job. I thank you that you gave me this job. I'm not giving this job up. I will endure. I will be patient. And you just stay in there and you have endurance and you just say, they can't touch me. (laughs) And you're smiling. They're over there cutting you up, cursing you out, putting you down, threatening you. And what do you do? Glory to God. God gave me this job. My God is my protection and your protection is gone. David had this attitude when he faced Goliath. What did he say? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He has cursed God. He's going to be easy prey for us. He's going to go out there and, and, and be the one who takes it out. That's all we got to do. Yeah, this is your life. Stay in it. Don't pull out. Stay patient. Endure. Keep on going. Don't bail. How much endurance did Paul have to learn to keep going and doing what he was doing when all the opposition came against him? How much patience did Jesus have to keep enduring with all the things the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the other folks were throwing out his way? How much patience and endurance did Moses have to show in all the things that he was doing? How about Elisha? How about Elijah? Quite a bit, right? We can learn the same thing. I didn't get to put this in your outline, but it's in mine. When you turn your back on the Word, all you have is emotions. When you turn your back on the Word, all you have left is emotions. If you take the Word of God and you set it aside, what you have left is your emotions, your good feelings of God, your good feelings of the Word. They won't carry you. You've got to hang on to the Word itself. The Word is stable, but emotions continually change. You may feel good about something today and not feel good about it tomorrow. Emotions will change. But the Word is rock solid. You've got to get the Word on the inside of you. Now, I meant to get this in your outline, and I forgot to put it in before I printed it. So if you want to write this down. Without obedience in faith, without obedience in faith, action in faith is useless. Without obedience in faith, action in faith is useless. What we have here, and if we were to continue to go on and read this story, you would see this. The children of Israel refused to go into the promised land. And so God says, because you have refused to go into the promised land, then this entire generation is going to die. And I'm going to raise up your sons and your daughters, and they are going to be the ones that go into the promised land. You are afraid for your sons and your daughters? I'm going to raise them up, and they're going to be the ones I'm going to be bringing in. So for 40 years, you're going to wander around the wilderness. God did not intend that, but now they're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And when the children of Israel heard that, you can keep reading on this when you're going home. You can check this out. When they heard that, they said, no, no, no. Uh, we're sorry. We, we didn't mean that. We'll go now. Now we'll go into the promised land. And the whole congregation got up and they, they got their soldiers and they got their swords and they said, we're going to go and we're going to charge. And Moses and Aaron, they all said, no, don't do it. God's not with you now. If you go in there now, you will die. Don't do it. Don't go. 
No, no, no. We're willing to be obedient now. We're willing to go now. We're ready. We're going to go into the promised land. And so they all go and they face the battle and they lose. And they come back and they're defeated. Moses said, I told you not to go. I told you not to go. You see, they wanted to be obedient. Finally. But it wasn't in faith. It was because, oh, we got punished. Oh, we're not going to, we're going to wander around the wilderness. You cannot fall into a place of obedience because it's convenient. Because all of a sudden obedience is better than the other choice. You need to obey when you have other choices. What has God said to do? Has God said to minister to that person at work? Then minister to that person at work. Has God said to do this particular? Then do that particular. Whatever it is that God has said to do, you go out there and do it. If God put somebody on your heart and said, go over there and bless that person. Go over there and bless that person. Go over and do what God has said to do. Regardless of whether they respond to it or not. Do what God said to do. And don't be doing it that, well, I don't know. I'll think about it. And uh, I guess I have no other choice. I'll have to. No. Obey when you have other choices. So that's going to produce something good on the inside of you. But the children of Israel decided, no, we're going to go into the promised land now. And then they came back defeated. And then they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Now, here's the question. Does God bring you to a place of battle when you have failed to make preparation for the purpose of you not succeeding? Now, of course, we would say, no, he wouldn't do that. But have they done the preparation that they were supposed to do? They had not. They had not had patience produced in all the things they were doing. And yet they were still brought to this place, to the Jordan, to cross over and to go. And didn't God say, go on over, send the spies? And he's, isn't he putting the plan in place for them to go on in? So how is God going to take these people who could not even face a lack of water, a lack of food, or anything else that they faced without grumbling and complaining, how is he going to take these people and move them into the promised land? How is he going to take them through the battles of Jericho? How is he going to take them through the battles that they would face with the five kings and all the things that went on in the book of Joshua? How is this people going to go through and do that? How are you going to face the battles that are ahead of you, that God knows are ahead of you, when you have not obeyed and done the things that he said to do? When you have not stayed and have your faith tested so that patience was produced. Now, if you got your outline there today, or you got your, your uh, bulletin down there in the court, I put a Willie George quote in there. Rising to the occasion is a myth. We operate at the level of our preparation. I thought that was a good quote. Sometimes we just think, well, when I get there, I'll, just, I'll be better. I'll rise up to that level and I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But that's, folks, that's a lot of times a myth. Now, God must have had a plan. He must have had a way for them to go. And if we looked at Joshua, the first city they came to in battle in the, when they crossed over the Jordan was the city of Jericho. When they came to the city of Jericho, how much fighting did they have to do? Really none. They had to walk around the city and be quiet. And that's the next generation that came up. They walked around the city and they were quiet. Six days they walked around at once and they were quiet. They didn't utter a word. But then on the sixth, the seventh day, they walked around it six times. And on the seventh time, after everybody got around the city, they all shouted. And they made noise. How well do you think this group would have done with being quiet? <laughs> I don't know how well they, they would have done. 
But God probably would have had some battles. All right, we haven't learned this yet. Now we've got to learn this here. And he probably would have taken them to one battle that they could learn. And then another battle. And then another battle. And built them up to it. Because God has a way for you to be prepared. So what you need to take from this is not that God led them to a place in which they could be defeated because of the lack of preparation. But God, despite their lack of preparation, had a way to bring them into the promised land. But they didn't follow it because they wouldn't cross over. Now, you ought to raise your hands on this. But how many of you would say that in your life you have failed some of the preparation that God has for you? That your faith has not stayed in that area of testing. You pulled it out. You got into grumbling and complaining and doubt and unbelief and all those kind of things. You didn't stay in the area of faith. You didn't stay in that area of testing. And the testing of your faith didn't produce patience that it was supposed to produce to get you ready for what is to come. Well, you know what? God has another way to get you there. He has another way to get you there. And if they would have listened and they would have gone over, maybe we wouldn't have started off at Jericho. Maybe we would have. Maybe we would have started off at Ai. Maybe we would have started off at some other place. But however it was, God had a way that I can take these people who have not produced the patience that they need for these bigger battles. But I've got some smaller battles. I've got some places that I can take these guys through. I've got some things that I can lead them through. And when I lead them through that, that patience can be produced so that when those bigger battles come, they will be ready. What would have been better is if when they faced the water and the food and the Red Sea and all the other things, if they faced those things, if they would have faced it in faith, it would have produced patience and it would have had a better outcome for them. But they didn't do it. And even when they failed and they didn't do it, do you know that God had a way? God had a way to bring them into the promised land. Because he says, I want you to go into the promised land, a land that I have given you. He would have done it. There was a way to bring them about. But they didn't take it. They didn't go that way. As we said in your outline here, the people did not go through any of the tests they faced in faith, so patience was not produced. When there's no patience, there's no endurance. The people cannot handle any opposition, persecution, or trouble. The people cannot handle any opposition, persecution, or trouble. They just simply can't handle it because they haven't been through it. They haven't been through those things that would produce the patience. They're again quick to disobey God, and they disobey God several times. Not just once. They disobeyed God when the report came in. They all started grumbling and complaining. When Caleb and Joshua got up and tried to quiet them, says, hey, we can do this, they were ready to stone them. That's two times. He gave them a, ch- a chance to, to come back. And then when Moses said, God has said, no, you're not going in. They said, no, we're going to go in. And they disobeyed again. If the people are unprepared, if the people are unprepared, is God wrong to lead them to cross the Jordan into the promised land? No, because God would have had another way. God would not have led them into the promised land if he did not have a way to train them up and to give them the patience and the faith that they need. And God will not lead you to any kind of certain failure. If God leads you into a place, if he leads you into a job, if he puts a ministry on your heart, he is not leading you into a place of failure. He's leading you into a place of success. But you must hear him. And in all the things that you are facing right now, the small little battles with people, the small little battles at work, 
the small little battles in your finances, the small little battles in areas of your health, all these things, if you will hear him and if you will meet them with patience, God will produce in you what you need so when the bigger battle comes, you are ready. God wants you to be prepared. The children of Israel were unprepared. They were not ready. And they failed when they came to this test. God wanted them to succeed. He desired that they would succeed. And God desires that you would succeed. But just because God desires that you would succeed does not mean that you will. You have to desire it. You have to hunger after it. You have to pursue it. And patience is needed. How much patience can you handle? We're not talking about patience like the world sees patience, that when people are screaming around you, you don't get frustrated. That's not the patience we're talking about. We're not talking about patience that you can stand in line at the Costco while all those people are in front of you doing crazy things, making that line longer. That's not patience. What we call patience, but that's not patience. Patience is the ability for your faith to be tested and you don't move. You stay right there. You don't give in to that flesh that says, but I want it now. Huh. We will stay here and we will fight this battle and we will win this battle because those that are against us are smaller than my God. They are smaller than my God. My God is greater. My God is greater. I keep working on these things for the, the next series that, are, that we have coming up. I'm not sure exactly when it's coming up, but it's coming up soon. I'm getting excited about this series because there's a whole lot of things that are in our life and we think we have to have patience to endure them. And we're, I'm, I'm seeing some of these uh, things in the Word of God to help with long-term. How many have had long-term things like headaches? Long-term things like high blood pressure? Long-term things like a weight that you do not desire. Too light, too heavy, whatever it might be. All these kind of things. I saw some things in the Word of God that um, are really helping me out in this. We'll show you how to tear these things down in your life. That the reason that most of these things have... Con- how many have ever battled weight the same way all the time? Headaches, battled high blood pressure, battled some of these health things all the time. We're going to show you some things in the Word that will show you how to tear those things down permanently. There's a, there's a few things we're not seeing in the Scriptures. that Once you see it, it's going to be as clear as day how you can tear these things out of your life, how you can get it to not be there. And it's real plain. It's real simple. Once you see, you say, oh, I can see that now. All right. And you have a strategy on how to get these things out, how to get headaches gone from your life, how to get chronic pains gone from your life, how to get um, bad people that keep showing up in your life out of your life. We'll show you how to do it because the Word of God will show you how to do it. Oh, it's wonderful stuff. And we're looking forward to, to getting into that. But patience is not the ability to withstand bad situations for a long time. Patience is the ability to stay in faith no matter what comes against you. That is patience. And that's where we need to stay. That's where we need to be. God wants you to grow in the area of patience. As uh, Brother Keith Moore said, you only have as much faith 
as you have patience. If you don't increase your patience, you don't increase your faith. You only have as much faith as you have patience. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for the help that you always provide for us. You're always there to be a help. You have sent us the helper. And we thank you for him. No matter what it is that we are facing, no matter what it is that we're going through, small, medium, big, whatever it is, Father, we want to stay in the area of patience that by faith we overcome whatever it is that we face. That we don't depend on circumstances. We don't depend on good reports or, or positive things from people. All we need is your word. And when your word has given us a clear directive, this is the way that we should go. We hang on to that word and we don't let it go. No matter if our emotions go up or our emotions go down, whether we're feeling good, whether we're feeling bad, whatever it might be, we do not give in. Father, I thank you for it. You are our God. You are the great God. With every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, I feel like I have missed some of the preparation that has gone on, that God has desired that I come through and I left the faith walk. I let my emotions get the best of me. But I surrender myself here today. Whatever makeup, whatever test I can redo, that God has a way for me to come through these tests and to get what I need for what's ahead for me. That describes you. Raise your hand up. We want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, you see the hands that were up. You see the people, Father, that recognize that, hey, we haven't gotten the things that I should have from, the, from what has gone on. But we're going to change that. Father, I thank you that you will speak to them and show them the direction that they can make up for those tests that they didn't stay in and get that patience that they need, that they are ready for whatever test whatever trial, whatever is thrown at them down the road. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go here today, a couple of uh, other praise reports beside the the one I already read. Jolly and Mercy said that Grandma Tony Morris underwent a successful spinal cord surgery last week. She's back home and no complications. And Victor says, my twin daughters, Murray, Murray? Oh, it's a C. Okay. I haven't heard that name. Mercy and and goodness. Turn one tomorrow. Twin daughters, mercy and goodness, they turn one tomorrow. That's a neat thing. That's all right. He, of course, is here, and his his, uh, family is uh, planning on coming over soon. And we we believe him with that one. And another uh, prayer. Yep. Okay. All right, we've got a couple of prayer things to, uh, to go over. And one of them is uh, we're going to be praying over Jolly. Jolly is leaving this week for uh, traveling back to Nigeria. For This is a, a missions a minister's conference. All right, so we're going to pray over him. And as he is uh, preparing to go, uh, I was going to have, I, I was um, thinking that Naz might be doing the offering today, but he did it last week, so Jolly did it this week, so I didn't have Jolly do it. But if you all want to sow a seed into um, Brother Jolly, 
in, uh, in, in this trip that he's going to do over here, then um, feel free to do that. If you want, you can write it on an offering envelope and turn it in, and then next week bring it with you. You don't have to have it here to, today. But if you want to do that, just write it in there, and uh, we'll, we'll get that over to them. And if you just want to bring it next week, you know, whatever comes in, we'll, we'll just sew that over to, over to them. But if you'd like to have a, a part in that, beside praying over him today, you can, you can do that. Bobby asked for prayer. He's got some headaches going on. And my mom is uh, at home. She's not feeling well this morning. So she came in last week after the accident. <laughs> this, this week some things have been catching up with her. And she had some stuff. But she got to the doctor on Wednesday, got a clean bill of, of health, that everything was looking good. But uh, some of the stress from the... I think she keeps, keeps seeing the car flipping. I can imagine that would be very unsettling. So um, we can pray for, for them as well. So let's pray for these these two situations here with uh, uh, my mom and Bobby, and then we're going to bring Jolly up and we're going to pray over him. Father, we just thank you that you just let your word rise up in these two, that, Father, your word would rise up inside of my mom, that that word would rise up, Father, and just set her free from the memories and from the things that are trying to take away her sleep, from the things that are trying to take away her rest, from the things that are trying to get her unsettled, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over that with her. And in Jesus' name, her sleep will be sweet and her rest will be blessed. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, we pray for, for Bobby and the headaches that are trying to get a hold of him. In the name of Jesus, we join our faith with his, that they will not continue on. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for the freedom he has in his back and the healings that you have done in his body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Jolly, come on up. We're going to pray over over him here today the 20th what day is that you, you leave Thursday Friday. oh you leave Friday alright so you leave Friday get there Saturday uh, and the conference starts on Sunday okay so there'll be a lot of ministry activities Sunday, Monday, Tuesday but then the convention itself starts Wednesday and goes to goes to Sunday alright just so everybody knows I want you all to be a no so you know how to be praying uh, the flight out is on Friday Arriving on Saturday. Ministry starts Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. But then there's a conference on Wednesday. There'll be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then you return home on Monday? Uh, Past Monday. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So whatever the uh, 1st of February of the day, he'd be, be heading back. All right. Very good. All right. So we had that done. So Wednesday through Sunday is ministry. Any other ministry after that? No. All right. So that's just a matter of getting to the plane and... All right. Glory to God. Anybody wants to come out here and lay hands on them, feel free. Encourage anyone who wants to come on up. Thank you, Father God. Glory be to your name. Well, Father, we just thank you for your power that goes with Brother Jolly. I know that his faith is at a place, Father, he can believe you for good things coming. I thank you, Father, for the safe trip he has going out there, the safe trip he has coming back, the safe time that he has in all the places that he goes. And that, Father, your anointing just rises up on the inside. And, Father, I thank you for the anointing for healing, the anointing for ministry. The, Father, the words that, that you speak through him will minister to all those that are hearing. We thank you, Father, for the uplifting that it will do for the hearers, that the ministers will be strengthened, and that more things will happen after he leaves because of the words that you give him to sow into them. Thank you, Father, for it. We thank you for a good report that we're going to hear of all these things that, that go and take place afterwards. In the name of Jesus, glory to God. Father, we just call on that anointing. 
We just call on that word that is on the inside of him. And the Father, you just lead him and guide him in every aspect of ministry, what he does, and that his body will be refreshed and his mind renewed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Thanks so much for asking us to do that. Uh, he just sent me a, a text this week and let me know that was, I would let, let, you, let you know sooner. But I uh, just found out about that. So if you like to sew into the you know, uh, expensive, and I'm sure they're not paying for that. It's uh, something that the, they're doing. So if you like to sew into that, just uh, write on there, just jolly. Uh, anything along those lines, we'll know what you mean. You can just write in the amount that you'd like to give and bring that next week. Or if you want to sew the offering this week, that's fine too. Uh, whatever you want to do. And we'll get that over to to Brother Jolly. But then you can also just bring it with you uh, next week and we'll have all that all that over to him. All right. We found out that the uh, financial class that was going on this uh, today, apparently most people can't stay for it. So they, uh, I think I, I only heard everybody who, who uh, talked to my wife already about it today said they couldn't stay. So we don't really have uh, that many to do it. So we don't want everybody to miss who could stay. So we're going to do the financial class next week. So instead of back-to-back financial class, the financial class will be next week. End times class will be in the week after that. End times class, the next end times class will be in two weeks. Next week will be the financial class. You'll see in your bulletin we have the, um, uh, I don't think I put the cover dish. The cover dish is coming up on your, uh, your, um, it'll be the first Sunday in February. I know I avoided the classes from being on that one. I was going to put the, the date for that in there too so that you would know it. And then on Monday, or I'm sorry, on Saturday, we have the men's breakfast here coming up at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. And then beside that, men do get it ready because we have the uh, men's night out, the annual midnight, men's night out to the car show. And subsequently after that, going over to the uh, famous days for, for dinner. It's a late night, but it's a fun night. We've got a good, uh, good time of fellowship in there. We put 6 o'clock in there. 6 o'clock is the time we usually shoot for getting down to the car show itself. We usually are leaving sooner than that, but just so you have an idea for, for time. So have a great rest of the week. Bless some folks before you go. No class here after this today. And could we send a message over to the folks in the children's church just so that they, they know about that as well. All right. Thank you all.